Hi, my name's Andy Chamberlain, and this is the Creative Writer's Tool Belt, the podcast that gives you practical, accessible advice that you can apply straight away to your own writing. You can find out more at my website, andrewjchamberlain.com, where you'll also find out about the Creative Writer's Tool Belt handbook, which condenses all of the very best advice and insight from my expert guests and me in one place. I hope you enjoy this episode of the Creative Writer's Tool Belt podcast, and it's helpful to you on your writing journey. And welcome to episode 155 of the Creative Writer's Tool Belt. My friends, I have come to the conclusion that nothing a writer does is easy. Everything we have to do is hard. The writing is hard and the marketing and branding, well, as you will know if you've tried it, that's hard as well. And so I was particularly pleased to get the chance recently to talk to branding and marketing expert Dana Kay. Dana runs her own PR company specialising in entertainment and publishing. She helps celebrities and writers to develop their own brand as well as appropriate, effective marketing campaigns for their books. She offers her clients insights on branding and messaging, how to handle email and social media campaigns, and intriguingly, she also offers crisis consultations. Now, Dana's services are powerful stuff, but they don't come cheap. And so in our conversation, I was able to get some immediate answers from her to questions like, what is author branding? And how do I go about developing my brand as an author? What are the best ways to get my book noticed? How should authors pitch their work in a face-to-face situation? And of course, I had to ask the question, just what is a crisis consultation? And based on her answer, I'm kind of hoping that I never have to have one of those. So Dana gave me loads of tips and insights on marketing and branding for authors completely for free. And I am delighted to share them with you in this episode. Here is that conversation. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you find it useful. So Dana, welcome to the Creative Writers Tool Belt podcast. It's great to have you with us. It's great to be here. So I want to start by just asking you if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and your, your background, where you grew up, and the, the cultural influences on you as a child and as you, as you were growing up? Well, I feel like this is one of the only podcast interviews where I've asked that question. So this was actually the one where I, I thought a lot about it. All right, good. <laughs> I was born and raised in Chicago. I'm a proud Chicagoan. Um, if you want to get technical, I was raised in Evanston, which true Chicagoans will call the suburbs um, as an Evanstonian. I'll say it was fairly city-like. We rode the L and the CTA buses, uh, but it was, it, the Chicago area is ripe with literary talent. We don't have much publishing here, but we have so many talented writers and storytellers and poets. So books were a big part of my upbringing. I can't say that I was ever a great student, but I blame it on <laughs> being assigned the wrong books to read. Oh, okay. As soon as I found other books that weren't on the required reading list for middle school and high school, I was a very happy reader. Okay. But when you're forced to read like Beowulf and some of these other <laughs> these other books that you really can't relate to as a 16-year-old, yeah. it, it it was very eye-opening that you didn't have to that I actually did like to read. I actually was a reader and was a let's say a curious student even yes. if the current school system wasn't serving that. And so I think a lot of the cultural influences that um, influenced me were both of my parents are sole proprietors. They both have their own businesses. And so the path of entrepreneurship wasn't a mythical one. It was a very clear path. And so I think that informed the fact that I went 
immediately out of college and into freelancing and then later growing my agency. And I also, my, my parents were also very big readers and I won't say highly academic, but they really loved learning. They would, I remember my father taking continuing ed classes, my mom taking community classes. And I think that that was a big influence on me that even though I am out of high school, out of university, that my, that being a lifelong learner is a big part of who I am. Mm. Which I guess might serve you well if you are going to be an entrepreneur, if you're going to run your own business, you, you've got to keep learning and moving and thinking about what you've got to offer and what, what the market's saying to you. Well, and that's what makes it interesting, right? Like if you're doing, it's the reason I don't want to work on an assembly line. <laughs> it's, <laughs> you know, it's something that if I was to do the same thing day in and day out, I would just be bored. And so I think that by learning new things and learning new tactics and strategies to help our clients and serve our clients or maybe even get new clients, that's really what makes our job interesting. I'm not someone who likes doing the same thing every day. So for those who don't know, can you tell us then what you are doing now then? What, what, what business are you in? So I'm the owner of K Publicity and we are a boutique PR agency specializing in publishing and literary entertainment. We primarily work with authors and publishers, although we also do some promotions for literary events and book festivals. Okay. And I've been in business for going on 11 years, 11 years in February. And so, like I said, it's the, the concept has been the same throughout. We want more people reading. We want more people reading the right books, which means it's up to us to publicize quality books and get them into the hands of the right readers. And so while that has not changed in 11 years, how we do that has changed dramatically. And we're going to unpack that during this conversation. I think the different aspects of, of what you do and, and how that, that whole thing is working at the moment. Um, but I want to start by a question that was, that's been bouncing around in my mind um, and which I thought I'd really love to ask an expert this question. And here you are. So I'm going to ask you, ask you about this. So um, there's, I, I've, I've heard a lot of talk about author branding and I've heard conversations, lots of conversations about book marketing. And I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about the difference between those two things, between author marketing, author branding and book marketing. I think we just felt all the authors listening cringe when you said branding and marketing. <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, the, basically, the, the, brand, the author brand is who you are and what you write. It's that simple. Of course, it takes a little while to understand the heart of who you are and what you write, but at its very basic level, your author brand is who you are plus what you write. And so that serves as the foundation for everything, for your website, for your media pitches, for your social media content, for your email newsletter, for what sort of events you do, if you do events. And so when we work with clients, whether it's on a coaching basis or a teaching basis, whatever, in any capacity, our first step is always identifying that unique author brand because that's going to give, that's going to inform everything we do and everything the author does. So when you are posed with a opportunity for a podcast interview or a speaking gig or a TV show, most authors want to say yes to everything. Like they want yeah. me, right? <laughs> <laughs> but 
But if it's not in line with your brand, then what good is it going to do? And if you're struggling to figure out, oh, do I really want to go to that conference? It's kind of expensive. It's far away. Or do I want to do this interview? It's out of my wheelhouse. You can just go back to your author brand and say, okay, is this going to enhance my author brand? Is this going to reach the people who need to be reached? And if not, you can say no without having any FOMO. So I think if I remember right, what you've just said there is talking about author branding as, if that's from my perspective, as, a, as an author, it's who I am and it's what I write. Mm-hmm. That's my brand. But I am lots of different things. So what is it that is within me or within any author that is the things that would most likely indicate to me what my brand is? Okay. So this is something um, that I teach in like a one hour long or maybe even longer course. But so let me just distill it down and just give it a really easy exercise for you and your listeners to start with. So not right now, because you're listening, unless you're, you know, somewhere you can hit pause, you can do this. (laughs) Start by listing out every facet of yourself. So are you, you're a writer, yes. But are you also a podcaster, a, a father, a soccer enthusiast, a coffee addict, a knitter, a, uh, you know, your religion perhaps, or your political bent perhaps. Mm. Listen, everything out, every single thing. And then this is just for the you part. (laughs) So this is one step. And then think about your typical reader or your target reader and think about what of those things is going to appeal to them. Mm. So if you write political thrillers, your political thoughts may be part of your brand. If you write, let's say, paranormal romance, then your thoughts on climate change may not enhance your brand. And so if you yeah. first get everything, do that stream of consciousness exercise, like every part you yeah. can get it as, lo- as big or as small nitty gritty as you want. But if you put everything down and then just start highlighting the ones that would appeal to your to your target audience. So people may go for the for the easy connections, right? So like if you're a cop writing police procedurals, that's a super easy connection. But let's say you're writing romance and you're also a grandmother. Your target readers are women ages 40 to 70. Chances are there are some parents and grandparents in that audience who may like to hear about your relationship with your grandkids or your approach to being a grandmother. So it's not like there doesn't have to be any grandmas. You don't have to be writing grandma romance or seasoned romance or anything like that. But thinking about your target audience and what's going to appeal to them. I'll give one other example. As a book publicist, I talk a lot about, obviously, my love of reading, about entrepreneurship, about media, all those things. But some of the things that didn't come into play was my role as a parent. I don't really, I didn't really talk about being a mom because I thought that my clients may see that as, oh, her attention's divided. She's not 100% in it, et cetera. Sure, sure. However, <laughs> then when I started working with entrepreneurs, two, two pieces, when I started working with more entrepreneurs on the coaching side, and also when I started working with more children's book authors, the fact that I was a parent was actually an asset. So then I started talking about it more because it would appeal to the types of authors that I wanted to attract. Yes. Yeah. 
So also keeping in mind that this may change depending on what you're writing. So as your most writers I meet don't want to write one thing for the rest of their life, right? They're not Lee Child who just is going to write Reacher. Yeah, and that's it. yeah. But instead, they write different genres, different age groups. They're they're multi passionate, and so as what you write evolves and as your readership evolves, it is okay to have your author brand evolve. And now, and I'm glad you've brought that up because one of the things I was going to ask you, I know a lot of authors in this position actually. Um, if you're writing in more than one genre, does that mean you have to have more than one author brand, or do you do? You, is there something clever you can do to kind of have one author brand to cover multiple genres? Yeah, it goes back to your target reader. I think this is the piece that most authors make a mistake about: is that they start with them <laughs> instead of focusing on the reader. So if you look yes. at your readers, look at the Venn diagram of your readers. And let's say you're writing women's fiction and techno thrillers, okay? So you're writing two pieces of commercial fiction. They're totally different, and yet there's a lot of overlap in terms of readership in that Venn diagram. Most of us, and Andrew, I don't know to speak to you, but like I read lots of different things. Yeah, I read, yeah, absolutely. I read yeah. all kinds of, I read nonfiction, but I also read mostly commercial fiction. So I will read a romance novel, I'll read women's fiction, I'll read a historical. So there's a big Venn diagram of overlap. So if you're creating yeah. separate author brands, you're actually losing out on a good chunk of your audience. Now, if you're writing children's books and erotica, then there's not that much of an overlap, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? And yeah. it could be kind of complicated. Yeah, that could get um, very complicated, and, yeah. And so that's when I would recommend a pen name and separate brands. Um, but for the most part, if there's a good chunk of overlap in your readership, then I recommend establishing one brand for it all. If it truly is a separate readership, like I spoke with um, Joanna Penn of The Creative yes. Pen, yes. and she was saying how her nonfiction readers do not cross over into fiction and vice versa. And so she has her JF Penn platform for fiction and her Joanna Penn for nonfiction. And so if you, if there is absolutely no overlap in your readership, then make two separate platforms and that's totally fine. But for most, if you're writing fiction, most of it, there will be some overlap. And at that point, what you'll do is you have to look for, this goes back to the, to the, what you write piece of the author brand, look for patterns. So I I recommend starting with the, primary theme of your books, listing out the primary theme for each of your books, listing out the secondary theme. There's usually a secondary theme Mm. for each of your books, the setting and the protagonist. This is for fiction. For nonfiction, it would be a little bit different, but then highlight any patterns. Like, do you tend to write about women in small towns? Do you tend to write about the struggle between good and evil? even if one's a historical and one's a paranormal and identify the themes. And that is going to be the crux of the, what you write portion. So it doesn't have to be specifically, I write historical. So I'm going to talk about historical things or I write paranormal. I write alien books. So I'm going to write about, you know, alien sightings, like getting to the crux of what you write and who you, and the themes and the characters, that's way more interesting than genre. Mm, yes. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking about some of the different things that I've written as you're, as you were talking there. 
uh, and particularly like protagonists and and thinking what you know what are the what are the things and I guess across different things that I I have written um, and they are in different genres I can see some threads there actually so it's it's interesting and I guess I guess that's not surprising really particularly with fiction is it that, that there will be certain um, tropes or themes or something or stuff that an individual writer would, would quite like. And most, and most good, like Andrew, like you're a good writer who's drawn to character, right? Like you're not just like, I'm going to write the next vampire novel because that's yeah. what's hot on the market, right? You start usually with a character and a concept. So it stands to reason that you may be drawn to certain types of themes or certain types of characters. And therefore there are going to be those threads, even if that character is meant to be in a thriller novel and this one is meant to be yes, sci-fi. Yes. Yeah. The, the theme for me would be authentic characters, characters that seem real, whatever the context, whatever the genre, whatever the world they're in, utterly they have to be authentic and, mm-hmm. they have to, and they have to be complicated in that sense. And if they're not, then it isn't really working. I want to ask you about something which I think, I think one of the mistakes us writers make is that when experts like you start to talk about branding we all kind of suddenly think, ah, oh, I need to kind of design a logo and I need to get my color wheel out and I need to kind of do all that, you know, I need to kind of go straight to that. But I presume that's, whilst that may come along the way, that's, that's nowhere near the first thing. I mean, it's obviously not from what you've said. So how, how, do, how should we resist the temptation to start with, with our logos and stuff like that and, and just and make that almost the thing that we come to having done the, the homework that you're talking about? Yeah. I mean, no bestseller, best-selling author or seven-figure author would ever tell you that the key to their success was a really spot-on logo, right? <laughs> no, they wouldn't. <laughs> and so I think, the pro- I, mean, I think this isn't just with logos or branding. I think most writers, the, the, the idea of book promotion feels so elusive and we don't yes. know what works. We yes. have no idea. This could work. This may work. So you're trying to grab onto the things you can control and you can get into Canva and start playing around with yeah. colors and logos and, or t- tinkering with your website. And that feels very much in your control. Like I had an author make this really cool gif for Instagram. I'm like, that's so great. How long did that take you? It took her like two hours to make it. I'm just like, that could have been way better spent elsewhere. book. <laughs> 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 getting me your newsletter content, whatever that may be, but like it yes. feels in control. So when we talk, when I talk about branding, you know, a, a graphic designer may talk about branding in a different way, but when I talk about branding, I'm, I'm focusing, I'm a, I'm a writer by trade. So I, yes. I focus more on messaging. So I think of it as your messaging and your like similar to your company's mission statement. Like, who are you? What do you write? What's your purpose? What things do you do? What things don't you do? And having real clarity on that is going to inform everything else. So, you know, if you are an optimistic, sunny, bright person, then yeah, you're going to have that bright color palette with yellows and pinks and whatever. Mm. Um, If you're Mm. writing darker thrillers, you're going to have darker branding, darker website that that all comes later. It's, it's the getting to the crux of who you are and what you write and developing that content strategy. That's what takes the hard work. I also think, it's hard because writers are the poorest judge of their own work. Like it's spent a year, probably more with these books, with each book and trying to figure out what the theme is can be challenging. And so I also recommend if you have a critique partner or a writing group, 
do this exercise, do the exercise I just outlined with your group and your peers will call you out on if you say, oh, this is the theme. They'll say, uh-uh, this is the theme. I've read all your books. <laughs> I know what you're <laughs> And so doing it in a group or at least with a partner is a really great way to get some outside mm. perspective. Yeah. But I think that the reason people are drawn to things that they can either outsource or do themselves is because it's under their control. Mm. Whereas mm. it's really hard to determine if a tagline or an elevator pitch is going to hit every time. You don't know that it's going to hit every time. And it feels very overwhelming, elusive. Mm. You can't really put mm. your finger on it versus you can make a website. You can make yeah. a yeah. Graphic. You can, these are things that are controllable, but they are not going to make as big of an impact than having really clear messaging and a really clear content strategy of what you talk about, what you write about, what you post about. That's going to have a much greater impact. But I presume somebody like you can take you, you could take like me, me, the writer who is a bit overwhelmed and scared by the intangibility and the etherealness of all this stuff you can give us a framework and you can give us guidance. And, and that's the point is that I suppose that I, I can completely understand why. And I'm sure I do it. Like I will rush to, for me, actually it is like, I'll write a little bit of content or I could fiddle around with, you know, I could dream about what my logo would look like because it gives me control. But actually the real success comes with getting that more intangible stuff, right? Mm-hmm. It's what, and and this is why I have a job, right? Is because people <laughs> don't want to do this for themselves. And so we do that for our full service PR clients. We do this as part of our services. Okay. But I also, you know, speak on the topic, lead online workshops, do other things to help authors figure this out for themselves. Because sure. the truth is what I do is not magic. I think a lot of people think that publicists have this magical Rolodex, right? You can just call the Today Show and they'll book whoever I want on. I I wish that was the case. My job would be so much easier. But the truth is, is I learned how to do this myself. I did not, I I mentioned I went straight from college to freelancing. Yes, you said that, yeah. Yeah. And so I I learned this on my own. And I I offer courses and things to help authors do this, to, to help cut through some of the BS and the stumbling blocks I've took along the way. But for the most part, you can figure it out because if anyone is equipped to figure it out, it's authors. And I tell this because I, I also coach entrepreneurs, and which is a very different beast. And I think that writers are storytellers and they have a sense of audience. So when you're, let's say, pitching the Today Show or pitching the New York Times or even or a book blog or an Instagrammer, when you're pitching them to cover your book, you need to know the audience, know what they care about, and also be able to tell the story of your book and why they'll find it interesting. And that's really the crux of it is whether it's sending emails to your newsletter list or pitching yourself to media or booking yourself for speaking gigs. It's really all about storytelling and having a clear sense of audience. Yes. Yeah. Kind of intellectually, I know you're right. And actually (laughs) emotionally, I know you're right as well. (laughs) Uh, It's for like, yeah, this works on several levels. And it reminds me, that actually one of the things I've done is I've done like about 150 episodes of this podcast and I took all the best advice I'd got from the first hundred episodes and put it in a book. And I was scouting around to find somebody who best expressed the concept of story. And weirdly, I found this user experience person. So it wasn't a writer and it wasn't a storyteller as such. It was a user experience person who actually, for me, was the person who got story best. And it made me realize just how 
story has become so important to so many people in so many professions. And the power of story is so well recognized now, isn't it? I think amongst, not, not just amongst writers, but, or even people in the entertainment business, but just in business as well. But now that you say that, it makes perfect sense because the, the UX person is focused on users. They're focused yeah. on others versus most writers may be focused on what they write and how they show up as opposed to thinking about the yes. readers. Yeah, you're so right. Actually, it, it, when you mention it, it makes theme, perfect sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, this, is, this is good stuff. Yeah, it was, and it was. It was I, 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 uh, the person who, who came up with some of this stuff, I wrote to her in the end and said, look, I'm writing this book. And you're a UX person, but I need to, I don't need to, I would really like to use some of your stuff to talk about story. And she said, yeah, fine, put it in. So I did. Now, thinking about what you've said in this conversation and thinking of that does, it, it is user experience, isn't it? I guess that's, that's what we're doing. We're, we're thinking about readers as our users and, and their experience of our work. Now, I wanted, the other thing that, that I mentioned a little bit earlier was author branding, but also book marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wondered if you could tell us what you think are the kind of critical elements, perhaps even not even just the elements, but what do we, what do we have to think about as writers and authors when we think about book marketing to start with? Yes. So let's, let's first start with defining what marketing is versus Mm. publicity. So publicity is earned media coverage, meaning other people are talking about you and your book there. It's other people. It's, it's out of your control, right? Like you can, whether or not they like the book is out of your control, whether or not your interview airs is out of your control. (laughs) Like that's, that's other people featuring your book. That's publicity. Marketing is you talking about your book. That is your website, your newsletter, your social media. Mm. So if people talk about like using Instagram, if it's a bookstagrammer talking about your book, that is publicity. If it's you talking about your book, it's marketing. (laughs) So marketing is fully in your control. If I send out an email, it will land. (laughs) I control the message. That's fully in your control. But the downside is that it has less clout and less weight than publicity coverage because we don't always trust the people talking about themselves. We trust other people we trust talking about other people. So like me saying you should really buy my book is not going to have as much weight as if you, Andrew, say you should really buy Dana's book, right? Yes. No, I completely understand it. Yeah. So yeah. You, the yeah. So the word of mouth thing is still, it's still uh, the ultimate thing in a way, isn't it? It, it you know, uh, advice or recommendations and word of mouth is still the most powerful thing in a way. Right. And how that word of mouth and, and word of mouth, when people say, when people think word of mouth, they often just think of people like friends and family talking to each other, which is true. But also Facebook and Instagram and YouTube and podcasts have become the new word of mouth. Mm. You know, we mm. don't just trust our local librarian or bookseller. We trust the fun, energetic booktuber who shares his book hauls every week and or she shares her you know, reviews or what she's reading. Now we trust those people. Yes. And so what, what you want to do when we're talking about this, the, the bigger umbrella of book promotion is you really need a little bit of both. You need a little bit of publicity because you need other people talking about your book to give it clout. 
but you also need the marketing because people aren't going to just buy the book directly off of a podcast interview or a TV segment. They're going to Google you. (laughs) They're going to go to your website Mm -hmm. and they're going to look at what you're about, or they're going to look at the Amazon page, or they're going to look at the Goodreads rankings. They're going to look at those marketing pieces and then they're going to make their buying decision. Or maybe they won't. And it isn't until they see a a Facebook ad that then they make the buying decision. Mm -hmm. So what it, so both pieces are necessary because if you only have marketing, it's a lot harder to make a sale because there's no clout. There's no other person recommending it. So like you could have the slick, like we talk about this in terms of, well, even podcasts, right? Like I could launch a podcast tomorrow and it will be professionally edited. It'll have a good landing page, all that stuff. But we don't know if anyone's reading it. No one knows who I am, right? Like we, we have to have this other piece of clout that someone else is talking about it in order for us to feel safe in our decision. It's why, I mean, when I land in a new city and I'm thinking about where to eat dinner that night, I look at Yelp and I look at what's the highest reviewed on Yelp. If I hear about a book on NPR, I may go to the Amazon or the Goodreads page. And if the reviews are mediocre, then I may not be buying it. Or if there's no reviews at all, I may not be buying it. Sure. So it's really important to f- cover all bases. And I, I, I feel like a lot of listeners are thinking, this is a lot of friggin' work. And that's true. But, <laughs> but by... Tell us how it is, Dana. It's fine. <laughs> but focusing on your... If you only... It's a lot of work if you try to focus on everybody. So if you try to focus on just your target audience. So like if you are just trying to... F- if you're a young adult author and you're just focusing on the teen market, the YA readers, you could scratch a lot of marketing tactics and a lot of PR outlets off your list. You don't need to contact the national TV shows. Teens and their parents are not watching the Today Show, right? Like they're looking at you, the teens are looking at YouTube. The parents maybe watch, again, timing is tricky, but unless you're, maybe if you're a stay-at-home mom, you're watching the the noon show, um, but you're not necessarily watching TV. You may be reading magazines. You may be listening to, to the radio on the way to school drop-off or by mm. when you're shopping the kids mm. across mm. or wherever. And so thinking about who your t- primary audience is and only targeting the, the shows and the publications that they consume it makes the list a lot smaller and a lot more doable. So I want to follow that up with a couple of further questions. One more directed at publicity, I guess, one perhaps towards marketing. So in terms of publicity, so not not the marketing, but just publicity, just trying to get people to independently or of their own volition talk about your book. What are the what are the sensible things to do if you want to try and generate some publicity? First is to think about again, it goes back to audience. Think mm. about the audience as if it's a radio producer or a journalist or an Instagrammer or a blogger. What do they care about? If they're doing online content, they care about feeding that beast. Like they need to yeah. keep filling and giving more content to Goose, Google and all those things. If it's a radio producer who has a five-hour slot to fill every weekday, they need people. You need good people to book in those interview slots. So by first putting yourself in the head of the producer or editor or blogger, that's going to give you a leg up. And then showing them how you perfectly fit into their coverage. So 
For example, we have a book, Fun and Easy Crafting with Recycled Materials. And we pitched a lot of coverage. It came out in December. And we part of our coverage that we were pitching was, here are some fun things to do with all those Amazon boxes. And it was five crafts <laughs> because it's holiday gift season. Yeah, yeah. No, it's great, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and then the thing we're pitching now, um, we need a little bit of lead time, but Earth Earth Day. So when we talk about crafting with recycled materials, that mm. can be a good fit into people's Earth Day segments. So if you put yourself into the frame of mind of your of the journalist, of the editor, whomever, you'll increase your chances of getting the coverage. I mean, I'm from the Midwest and, and you're British, so we're all a little polite. <laughs> and so <laughs> we feel not so great about what we feel is asking for a favor. But I will tell you to the radio host who has to come up with programming for four to five hours every weekday, you are doing them a favor by showing up and giving them something interesting to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. As an online content, as an, if you're an editor of a website and you need new content on the site every day, saying, I'd love to write a guest article or here's an interview or can I give you a book to review, that is doing them a favor in some way. So it's a, it's a mutually beneficial relationship. You're getting the coverage and you're giving them quality content to put on their, in their media outlet. So I want to ask, see whether you can confirm or not uh, some thinking I've got here, because I've always thought that when you're going to, to somebody who needs content, let's say, giving them exactly what they need or as near as possible to what they need and just generally doing things like, you know, if you need to turn up, you turn up on time. If they say 300 words, you give them 300 words. If you've got a 10 minute slot, think about what you can say in 10 minutes, you know, think about what... So thinking in those terms, thinking in terms of actually making it easy for them to ask you back again, giving them exactly in as they want it. I think that's very important, but I just wondered if you could confirm whether it is indeed important and, and perhaps you've got some comments around that kind of stuff. 100%. Like be professional and also just do what you're told. Like I... <laughs> It's amazing to me how many times like we'll get a, we'll book a, an op-ed or a guest article on the right. And it's like 500 words, 800 words. And the author gives us 2000 words and, and it's like, this is it. And all that means for us is we're editing before we send to our editor contract. Oh, um, but even like little things like, you know, before, and let's just talk in terms of podcasting because we both have mm. podcasts mm. and how many times have you had a guest show up? Like I had a guest recently who I say in the calendar invite that there's going to be video, like you're going to be on camera. And she showed up like not camera ready. Like she didn't have her camera up, but then she's like, I actually just got out of the shower and blah, blah, blah. And then didn't want to be on video. And she's like, you didn't tell me. It's like, I absolutely did. When you like, when we booked our time in the calendar mm, invite, mm. I said this. And then I asked her a couple of questions that she was really unprepared for. And I said, I put that in the email when we booked this, that these are the questions I'm going to ask you. And so the interview turned out fine, but not, it's not my favorite one. Mm, and mm. that, and I won't have her back and I won't necessarily, if someone's like, Hey, do you have a podcast guest recommendation? I wouldn't necessarily recommend her. No, no. And so, and it's the same with us. Like when you, you know, I came prepared, you sent me a few questions with the understanding that we're going to go off script and that's fine. Um, I showed up when I was supposed to. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm glad one of us like, did. 
you know, we, we, um, my, uh, my colleague who booked the interview is going to be out of town. So she connected us beforehand. Yes. Yeah. All of those things make a difference. And if they do, and if you are, you know, taking time, not just to talk to me, but to edit and promote and create thumbnails and all these things, then it's the least I could do is follow instructions. But that 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 works both ways, though. In that, um, like, if I'm going to talk to you, and uh, I mean, we're talking about you and I talking to each other, but people listening to this should think of think about this in the broadest context. Mm-hmm. I, I think then it's it's right for me to get some kind of a grip on who you are and what you do, and to think about the questions I'm going to ask you, and to think about and to think about that th- there's a kind of triangle of what you're going to say, what I'm going to ask and what people want to hear. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, that's kind of how it works for me. And I think in terms of, of this podcast, and I think that some configuration of that triangle perhaps works if you're going to people who need content, right? Uh, where you've got a, some clue about uh, what you've been saying, some clue about what those, the people are going to be on the receiving end, yeah. um, an idea of what the person wants and an idea of what you can give. Yeah. And if you have a bad experience with a media outlet, you won't, contact them again. I mean, sure. so if yeah. we have like, let's say we book a client, oh, there's this one, um, <laughs> called like the morning shock jocks, the, like, I don't know if you're familiar, but the, I don't think they have them in Britain. Um, uh, but they're like morning show hosts that do like pranks and jokes and, and <laughs> they're just rude. Um, and so we don't book our clients for those because on the <laughs> chances that we have done it a couple of times, where the book was more humorous or we felt like the author yes. could handle it. Yeah. But they're not respectful of the content. They haven't read the book. They just want to get a rise. They want call-ins. They want yeah. to get, you know, they're, they're not respectful of the author or the book. So we just don't book it. So I would say it does go both ways. Like if you have, if the writers go on to talk about their book or if they send a book for review and it gets just trash and your book gets trashed, don't send it to them again. Like, don't no, do absolutely. it again. Yeah. And so it's a, it is a learning experience. Like I will yeah. say that not all media outlets are created equal, not all podcasts, bloggers, there's varying levels of professionalism and respect on all ends. So mm-hmm. I think you're, you hit the nail on the head that ideally it's going to be a mutually beneficial relationship where you're giving them content, they're featuring you, you're showing up prepared as are they. And and it just makes for a better experience for everybody, I think, exactly. if everybody's pre- prepared. So the other thing I was going to ask, switching more to marketing, and um, this is a real bugbear, what I'm going to talk, I'll ask you about now with, with a, a lot of the writers I know. So thinking about social media, um, and uh, a lot of writers, they kind of, they know they need to get into social media and then they get on Facebook and then they get on Twitter and they get some Instagram going on and, and maybe... And maybe there's a whole bunch, of, and then, then they're on five or six different platforms, and they just kill themselves because they're trying to keep all of these plates spinning, trying to keep everything going, and and then they burn out, or they, they you know they find they haven't written anything because they've been on the social media all day. So how? What's the sensible approach to social media for writers? Do you think? Yeah, it goes back to the things you can control, right? So they're like, oh, I can get a LinkedIn account, I can get a Pinterest account. These are things I can control. Yeah. I yeah. am being productive, and look at me taking charge of my marketing. So two things, (laughs) I think focusing on two, maximum three platforms, that's it. You cannot do more and let, like I do this for a living and I can't do more. 
like we, we can't manage more than three accounts for our clients. And so pick by picking them, pick ideally the ones that are going to reach your target audience, but also the ones that you like. So like if you love Instagram and you love Instagram, that means you're going to do it well and you're going to pay attention to it. Even if it's not like the quote unquote best for your target readership. Mm. So Mm. ideally what you enjoy and what's the best for your target readership is the same. That would be great, but not always. So I would say pick the two or three that are the best and most important for, for your readership, but also that you understand. So like if you are not cool being on camera, if you are awkward and it stresses you out and you're not engaging on camera, then do not pick YouTube even if every teen is on YouTube. Like it's, it won't do the thing that you think it's going to do, right? Mm -hmm. So no one's going to sign up to look at the uncomfortable author talking. And so I think that if you also think about what your strengths are, so a lot of our authors love Twitter because it's writing. They don't, they're not photographers. They don't want to take pretty photos. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And so Twitter is, they, they like it. That being said, Twitter has, I won't say it's morphed, it's always been very newsy, um, but it's taken on a different role where people are going to Twitter to talk about the news and current events and societal issues, Mm. not necessarily to exchange ideas about books. Mm. So what does that mean for your content on that platform? Are you going to actually be engaging readers or are you going to just be talking to your fellow authors? (laughs) Like what's the, what is the goal there? So I think Focusing on the two, maximum three that you like and also reaches your target audience is the best place to start. If you do not know, like I get a lot of like, I don't know where my target audience is. There's some, there's some basic common sense things you can look at. So for example, if you write nonfiction, LinkedIn is probably good. If you write like business books or political books or whatever, LinkedIn is probably good. If you are hitting the teen audience or the young adult, like the Gen Z audience, Mm. YouTube is big. And so there's some common sense things you can look at, but you can also find out some other ways. So like, let's say this will only work if your website gets a decent amount of traffic, but look at your Google analytics or whatever analytics tool you use and look at where people are coming from. So as an entrepreneur and an agency owner, Pinterest wasn't something that was on my radar. And yet I have, I think a third of my social traffic comes from Pinterest. None of it came from Twitter. So yeah. I stopped using Twitter. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Well, I haven't used Twitter, I think in over a year. It's been amazing. Um, and so, and a lot of it came from LinkedIn. A lot of it comes from Facebook, but Facebook, because we run ads is, you know, not always accurate. So looking at sure. your Google analytics or whatever analytics tool and looking at where people are coming from but also surveying your audience. So let's say you have a newsletter, like put out a survey and just say like, hey, where, what social media platforms do you use? Or a survey that says, where, where did you learn about your last book? Like what, what made you buy the last book you bought? And you can learn a little bit about your audience that way because the people on your newsletter who have purchased your book, chances are if they say, I only read books for book club and I only use Facebook, that more people who could like your books also only use Facebook and also only like read what is assigned for book club, which means you got to get your books into some book clubs. Mm. And so just, you can, you can assume that 
what's true for a small handful of your readers is true for a lot more people who are your potential readers. So one of the things that uh, other writers say to me is the most important thing that they've got, the mo- their most valuable asset uh, is the email list. And we could talk for a long time about building email lists. And I don't want to do that right now, but I just want to get your opinion on how important you think getting an email list is for a writer is, is because most of the writers I know are putting that at the top of the list. Is that, is that what you think or do you think something else? So I think that, Yes and no. <laughs> it depends is my favorite two words. <laughs> so it is the most important for two reasons. One is you own your email list. So you, if, if MailChimp shuts down tomorrow, you have all your emails. Those emails are yours. Yes. You can take them with you. Yeah. If Facebook shuts down, those, those followers are gone. You, those are on rented land. And so you own your email list, which is important. It's also not algorithmically um, weighted. So if I send you an email, it will land in your inbox. If I post on Facebook, it's up to the algorithm gods of whether or not you say, see mm, it. Mm. And so those are the reasons that in terms of your marketing, why the email list is so important is because you own it and you control it. So the caveat to that is you can't really build an email list without doing a bunch of other things, right? So for example, one of our clients has, I haven't looked at her account recently, but last count, it was about 40,000, about 40,000 Instagram followers, which is great. That's, that's a serious list of followers, isn't it really? Yeah, it is. Right. But only I think eight, maybe 9,000 on her email list. So what that tells me is there's 31,000 people that we could guarantee contacting if we could get all those followers onto her email list. And so that's our main priority. So we do that organic. We do it with paid ads. We also do a lot organically. So she'll say, writing my, on her Instagram stories, like writing my newsletter, it's going to talk about this topic. If you're not on the list and she'll have the sticker, the ask a question sticker, like put your email address in the sticker and we'll add you to the list or swipe up and sign up for the list. And so like if you only have an email list, that's great, but it's very difficult to build that email list without any publicity, without any social media, without anything else. So like, and this is a good experiment. So I'm going to put this out there, but I may be wrong, but most of the people listening I don't think they're going to go directly from this interview and go sign up for my email list. It'd be great if you did, but I doubt they will. <laughs> but they may, because they're a podcast listener, may look at my podcast and listen to that first, right? And yeah. then after listening to three or four episodes, maybe they like me and want to get more, then they'll sign up for the email list. So, so, so just let's just pause for a moment. Could, yeah. What is the name of your, just in case somebody goes, yeah, maybe I want to check that out. What is the name of your podcast? Branding outside the box. Okay. So we'll come back to that later, but I just wanted to get that mentioned Thank in you. now just so people can, can think about it. Thanks for being such a good host. I sometimes <laughs> forget in the right direction. And so I think that it's hard to develop an email list without anything else. You can't just yeah, yeah, put up a landing enough. page and and tell everyone you meet to to sign up. Um, that being said, I would say for me, the the and for most of our authors, the biggest way they build their mailing list 
is from their in-person events. So when you are doing an event, like whether it's a writing workshop or a panel at a conference or just a bookstore event, always have a mailing list sign up because the best person to sign up for your mailing list is someone who just bought one of your books. Because if they bought one of your books, chances are they'll buy other books or they'll buy your next book. And so those are the best people to have on your mailing Mm. list or people who have already done business with you in a sense. So um, moving to another kind of sphere of interaction now, one of the things that a lot of authors find really quite scary is direct interaction. Uh, so in, engaging with people directly, and that, that could be readers of their books, or it could be um, publishers, agents, and also within that, that context, um, being asked to just do a kind of elevator pitch of their book. Uh, I mean, I find that quite difficult sometimes. I think about like, like the last book I, I wrote, I thought if somebody said, give us 30 seconds on your book right now, and I could do it, but it, it, it would be a little bit of a struggle. And so what advice do you give to your clients about that one-to-one engagement, you know, personal engagement where you're actually in the physical space with people? And if people ask them to just talk briefly about their book. Yeah. You're not alone. I think most authors <laughs> don't get into writing because they like, they're obsessed with people. Like, I don't think like, I really like working with people. So I'm going to be a writer. Like that's not most. That's people. not how it works. Is it? <laughs> no, we like being alone with our imaginary friends for a lot, large <laughs> chunks of the day. And so I, you're not alone. That's the first part. The second part is we're all people. We're all humans. So like, I remember talking to some aspiring writers about literary agents and how scary they were. Mm. And I'm just like, these are people like they're just people and they're and they're also book people like i will go to book events here and see other like see literary agents getting in line to get their book signed from the the visiting author like they're also they they got into this because they love books so i think remembering that we're not alone and that everyone's a person and a human and we should be a little less scared of them And then the final piece is when you have confidence in your author brand, when you really have a good handle on who you are and what you do, it feels so much easier to talk to people. Someone telling you, Andrew, like, tell me what your book is about. It probably took a lot of practice to get an elevator pitch or get a tagline that felt really good that you could be confident in. But once you did, it probably felt a lot easier to deliver that when asked. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And and I take your point. I think it's, it, it may well be true for the book as well as the author in that I, I will be able to explain myself better when I know who I am as a writer and I'll be able to explain my book better when I really understand what the book's about. And when I really, when I've thought, thought through carefully, what, it, what is it that I'm really presenting in terms of the story or something like that? Yeah, sure. Cause how many times do you get asked, what do you write? And you're tempted to talk about every single one of your books. But once you get the, to the crux of who you, of like what you write, like what are the themes and the characters, then it's a lot easier to answer that question. It's like a, a, the example I used in, in my book, uh, Your Book, Your Brand, is Sophie Littlefield, who has had a wide ranging career of writing. She had a mystery series, she had a post apocalyptic trilogy with zombies she's had young adult novels she's had women's fiction novels she's had some like i know we can't say chiclet anymore but it's romantic (laughs) comedies let's say um she's had a wide range of novels 
And so you may think like you're a branding nightmare. Like you, like how are we supposed to do this? But when we got to the crux of what, what really drove her writing and what really interested her, we got to the point where someone asked her what she writes. She says, I write about women doing the impossible to protect their families in the face of the unthinkable. Yeah. Yeah. And that is intriguing to me, right? Like, okay, these are women who are doing amazing things in extraordinary circumstances. Okay, I want to read about that. Because if I told somebody she wrote this sexy zombie trilogy, they'd be like, I don't do zombies, right? Like, it's really easy to write that off. Or like, oh, I don't read romance. or I don't read mysteries. Like, that's easy to write off. But if you get to the sense of character, Mm, mm. it's a lot more compelling Mm. and it covers all the different books. So if they know, okay, this is what you write and that's interesting, they'll go to your website or they'll look you up on Amazon or whatever, and they'll figure out what they want to start with. Like they, like readers are fairly smart. Like, you know, based on a book cover and a back cover description, which is the romance, which is the thriller, which is the historical, you know, you know that, but if you know that this is the thread that connects them all, you'll feel more comfortable in your buying decision. So just changing tack just slightly now, um, there's a lot of authors who have embraced the self-publishing thing. Mm -hmm. um, And there are increasingly authors who are both traditionally published and Mm self-published. And I wondered if you had, have you got any clients who fall into that kind of hybrid category and is there any particular advice that you would give to authors who like have got a foot in both camps are doing traditional publishing with a with a with a publisher and they're also publishing their own stuff yeah i'm all about hedging your bets like i'm all about (laughs) having a foot in multiple camps i think that it's really we we don't know what the future is going to hold for either side so if you have self-publishing and traditional publishing deals, you're in a really good position. Also probably means you're writing more than one book a year, which is also amazing and great. Um, more products on the market is great for authors. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I tell people like if you go into a store and they only sell one thing, it may be hard to do business, but if you sell multiple things, it's a lot easier. And so I don't think there's any, the principles are all the same. I think the, the change is understanding where your audience is going to purchase your book. So if you are indie, I'd say 90, I don't know, I'm making this stat up, but like anecdotally, 99% of your sales are going to come online. Like most of your book sales will come from online. Therefore, only doing traditional media outreach may not make sense. Like you want people to be reading an article or listening to a podcast and be able to just pull up their phone, click link, click the links and get your book right there. If they're in the car listening to NPR or on the train reading a newspaper and they see it, by the time they get home, they may forget, right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it, it, you have to think about where you have to meet your potential reader at the point of sale somewhere. So the reason traditional media works really great for a lot of traditionally published authors is because the traditionally published authors have the money for co-op for that front table placement at Barnes and Noble, for the posters at the Mm. indie bookstore, for all Mm. those things. And so it stands to reason that if I'm listening to NPR and then I'm shopping locally at an independent bookstore, that your book, that book is going to be there versus an indie author 
unless it's the indie author's independent bookstore, it's it's not going to be there. Sure. So I think the no, big difference is understanding the retail side of it and understanding where your audience is going to be buying your book. And if it's only online, then my advice is always to focus more online yeah. than, than in the traditional media outlets. Okay. Um, now, I don't know whether this question, this is a good question or not. I've got to ask it. If it is a good question... Just tell me and we'll, we, we can, I'll, I'll edit this bit out. But um, I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about the places that readers are going to look for recommendations for good books now. Where, where are people looking for, re- for, for recommendations that they might act on for good books? Yeah, that's changing. So it, it varies by, and it is a good question, Andrew. This is what, this is the crux of what we, what we do. <laughs> and so the, it's changing because I think, again, this is just my opinion. I think that our trust in the news outlets is waning. Like I think yes. that a lot of, especially Americans, are have a lot of distrust when it comes to the news outlets. And rather than trusting the outlets, they're trusting the people. So they're not trusting, you know, the Today Show. They're trusting... Reese Witherspoon and her book club, or I don't know, think of political folks like Ben Shapiro has a podcast and reads a lot, you know? And so, yes, yes. The, so I think we're, what the shift has become is that people are trusting people versus the quote unquote establishment. So the, I, I made a joke at a dinner party about something about the New York times and someone was like, oh, well, you have to pay to get in there anyway. I'm just like, wait, what? No, like, (laughs) I I wish we could pay for a New York Times review. Again, it would make my job easier. Um, But no, you do not pay. Like, they they pick out of the hundreds of thousands of books they receive, they pick which books to review. And so I think there's this misconception, there's this distrust of media that I think is affecting the, is affecting some of the traditional review coverage. So I think people are looking more towards people they trust, like they trust. Ellen or they trust Oprah or they trust Reese Witherspoon or they trust, you know, and of course now it's escaping me like big podcasters or YouTubers, like they're looking to people. And so I think that's, what's shifting is, um, is, is where we are ourselves are also working more with people, not just in a getting a review coverage or an interview, but even just having someone share it on social right like so having a trusted beloved media darling share what she's reading on social media may hold even more weight than booking her on the show Mm. um i like i think about we had sent gillian flynn one of our books to get a blurb and she never blurbed she didn't say no but she she asked for the book but i we didn't get it in time or whatever we just never got the blurb for the front cover but then about a month after Pub, you know, Gone Girl is blowing up and Vulture interviewed Gillian and they said, what are you reading? And she said, Losing Clementine by Ashley Ream. It's so great. And that, that was our client. And that yeah. such an impact. And I would predict now, this was several years ago, but I predict now that would make even more of an impact than mm, a review itself. Mm, mm. I guess it's, I guess people are looking, if people, if there's a lot of distrust around People are looking for a pure review, a disinterested review, if you know what I mean. They're they're just looking for a person who they trust saying without any agenda, no money has changed hands, that they simply mean what they say when they say 
this book I've read, I love it. It's yeah. Great. Well, and even just the idea, I, I remember telling people what I did for a living and they, the betrayal on their faces, like the author who was on Good Morning America, that's like not just the best author right now. Like it's someone is pitching them or like the story, you know, the, the cooking shows, like the stories, the chefs are like, oh no, they all have publicists and they're all pitching the producers. And this betrayal on consumers' faces, like this was supposed to be the news. They're supposed to be telling me mm. what I should care about. Mm. And mm. now you're telling me that someone like you pitches these people and tells them what to care about. Um, it, it was, in, it was, it's an interesting disconnect because in my mind, I'm like, well, how are they going to find out about it? There's so much stuff out there. Uh, but for most consumers, they are now realizing how much nepotism or network or who you know plays a role mm. in these things for better or for worse. Mm. So that's my hunch is I think as we go through our new wave of what journalism looks like and what um, our people's relationships to the news, I think we're going to be looking more towards the influence of individuals versus like a review in the New York times or the Washington sure. post or the guardian. Sure. Um, I'm going to ask you my comedy question now and, and you can give me a brief answer, but, but because I need to, I need to ask this question. Um, if I'm an author with a contract and I just say, surely my publisher is going to do all the marketing for me. I don't need to do anything myself. I mean, maybe I may be these people still exist who'd say this, but people, people write authors who think that the publisher is going to do everything for them. What would you say to that person? You are sorely mistaken. <laughs> the, I'll say this. Everyone at publishers, at your publisher, everyone at your publisher has the same goal as you to move a bunch of widgets, right? They want to move yeah. books just like you do. Yeah. But their approach, how they do it, the bandwidth, the loyalty, all those things, their, their loyalty rests with the publisher. And so if they see that, well, this widget that you didn't write is moving more, then I'm going to focus my energy there and I'm going to sure. forget about your widget. And I mean, they have a, a P&L, a profit and loss like anyone else. So they're yeah. gonna be, they have a lot of books to promote and what, where yours falls in the pecking order is largely out of your control. So I would say that if their publishers are promising a lot, like congratulations, that's fantastic. But ultimately you are the person responsible for making this book a success your in-house publicist is going to get a paycheck no matter what, but you may not get a paycheck if this book doesn't sell. You may not get another contract if this book doesn't sell. So really working with your in-house team to ensure that they are pulling all the levers and to fill in the gaps as needed. It really is the case, I guess, that any author, it's down to them in the end, whoever they are, it's down to them to take responsibility for their work. And to do whatever they can to publicize it, cooperate, I suppose, with the publisher. I mean, it's, it comes back to that thing about cooperating with the, the content, the channel owners. I suppose mm -hmm. if, you have got a, if you've got a contract with the publisher or, you've, or indeed you're working with an agent, cooperate with them and work with them. Or your publisher, you've got somebody who is helping you with your branding, just cooperate with them. Do what they say. Well, and I think the difference too is the agent is working for you. So their earnings depend on your earnings. So yeah, they definitely sure. have a vested interest in this book doing well. And with a publicist, with an outside publicist like myself, I mean, I'm getting paid by you. So I, my loyalty is firmly resting in the person mm, who writes the check. Mm. And so I will do whatever it takes to make it a success because 
I want to have continued work. And so I think it's true for anything to rely completely on somebody else for anything, whether you're in a nine to five job and just assume you're going to get a raise or assume you're going to get promoted. Like that's, that's not realistic either. I think that we need to take control of our own destiny in so many ways. And we really need to be proactive for not only advocating for ourselves, but under, but controlling what messages are being put out there. So if you say nothing, so like if you don't have a website, if you don't have an email list, if you don't have social media, you are at the mercy of publicity of what other people say about you. And that's out of your control. Worse is even if they don't say anything about you and no one knows about you. So mm. I think a lot of it is taking control of your own marketing and your own messaging and your own mm. career mm. and working with a team, whether that team is just your in-house person or the people that you hire, it's really crucial to work with them so that you can take control of how your book does. Which moves us smoothly. I think if we're thinking about author, it's your book, it's your career, it's your brand, which that will bring us to your <laughs> book, which is your book, your brand. So why don't you tell us a little bit about, about your book and your brand? Why did you write, write it? What, would, what could we expect to find it if, if, if we buy it? So your book, your brand, the step-by-step guide to launching your book and boosting your sales is basically a download of my brain into <laughs> 180 pages. It, it came about, I'd love to say that this was a long, so, okay, let me back up a little bit. So I have a creative writing degree. I'm also a creative writer. I went to school for fiction writing um, sure. and then I found journalism and I was a freelance journalist for a couple of years before finding my agency. So writing has been in my blood. I've, I've always written. And even as a publicist, I write pitch emails, press materials, newsletters, all kinds of things. Mm. And so I knew that I wanted to write a book about basically, I, I get a lot of inquiries from people about our services. We're not super cheap. And so there's a lot of people that can't hire a full-time publicist, or they may be interested in doing the publicity themselves. They just need some guidance. So mm. I had been interested in writing a book, but you know, when you're not on a deadline and you have a company to run, that takes, you know, it doesn't take the, it's not on the front burner, if you will. <laughs> you tinker with it during sure, odd hours. Sure. And I was at a writing conference meeting with one of my client's publishers, and she was talking about that they're expanding more into nonfiction and doing more nonfiction stuff. And she said, like, you know, if you have any nonfiction authors or have any ideas for nonfiction books, I'd love to hear them. And I pitched my book and she said, yes, let's do it. And can you have it by September 1st? This was in July. This was the beginning of July. <laughs> and, and you said yes, or did you not say yes? Of course. <laughs> I'm, I mean, you say yes. Can you, you do this? Yes. Can you? Yes. Yes. Always yes. Um, so I wrote the book in about eight weeks. And... <laughs> It was really intense, but it was, you know, it was good. I mean, it got, it got it out of me, right? Like it had been yes. yeah. for a long time. And so basically what it is, is it's, it's the guide to how I set up a publicity campaign. It's exactly what I do so that other authors can do it too. Because I do believe that every, it is all repeatable. I, we work on 30 clients at a time, but we work with several publishers. So we're working yeah. on a lot of the books. It's repeatable. So if there are authors listening who don't want to hire an outside publicist or don't have the budget to afford an outside publicist, 
or just curious about what their in-house team is doing, um, <laughs> the, the book will help guide them and provide insight into how to effectively bring a book to market. The one caveat I'll say is that I did write it in 2016. And the lesson that I learned is that a book is forever and but social media algorithms and rules are not and so there are a couple <laughs> of things like goodreads use goodreads giveaways used to be free they are no longer free yeah. i get emails from people saying you said in your book that this is free and it's not i'm like i know at the time it was true um so that would be the only caveat most of the philosophy the philosophies and the approaches don't change but some of the quirks with the different sure. social media plat like tumblr is in there I don't necessarily think Tumblr is important anymore. It still exists. Um, but so those are some of the little quirks that I will, I always give a caveat because I get a lot sure. of these emails from people. Um, but the philosophies and the approaches are all the same. And if people are interested in finding out more about that book, where can they go? What do they do? Wherever books are sold, your book, your brand, it will come up. Okay. Um, now I think you, I understand you run a course as well for people who want to kind of get, get stuck into this a little bit more. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Thank you. So in addition, so as I mentioned before, we are not cheap. Uh, a publicity <laughs> campaign for an author will run for us, will run anywhere from eight to $10,000 for a project. So okay. that's like a six month, usually a six month um, engagement. And so like, I mean, not excruciating. Like I, I know publicists who charge 10 grand a month. Um, but you know, a significant investment. Yes. Yeah. So I have been wanting, I get, I would say anywhere from five to 10 inquiries a week to work with us. And I had been, pa I pass on a lot of them because either we have a conflicted, we have a conflict or we're full or whatever, Yeah. or that they can't afford us. And I, I was really for, for like years and years, I had been thinking about this for about five years where I really wanted to help these people, these authors but I didn't have a way to do it. Like I, it pained me to say, unfortunately we can't work on this because so we took, I did, I tried to figure out a few different ways to help. And I think I found the solution. <laughs> I launched a few <laughs> different things, but this one is um, the, your breakout book membership site. So what it is, is a monthly membership that gives you access to live trainings, recorded trainings, worksheets, templates, all kinds of things that will help you launch your breakout book. There is a lot of content there, but I also share, you also get, when you sign up, you get weekly emails to kind of help guide you through that content. So you understand mm -hmm. the step-by-step -step process. Um, and so the live and the live trainings happen once a month and the live trainings are voted on by members. So each month you get a survey and it says, what do you want to hear about? <laughs> it, so everything is with the members. So it says, what days of the week are you available? what times are you available and what do you want to hear about and majority wins. So I had an, one of our live trainings was um, a weekday evening. Most of them are during the day. Um, and the trainings vary depending on what people want to know about. And so it's a monthly membership. You have the option of just doing the membership, just having access to all the materials and the live trainings, but you also have the option to add one-on-one -on -one coaching. So you can, for a higher rate, you can have unlimited coaching calls with me and you have a link to my calendar. You just put yourself on my calendar whenever you want and we can hop on a call and talk about things. So sure. if you're working sure. on your tagline or your brand summary or whatever, and you're like, I, I don't know if this is hitting, I need feedback. You'll have the opportunity to get on a call with me and we can talk it through. 
And for, if somebody wants to find out about that kind of suite of courses, that range, range of resources, that can they do that through your, your website? How, how, what's the best way? They can. It's kpublicity.com slash your breakout book. So it's okay. K-A-Y-E publicity.com slash your breakout book. Okay. And, and if people want to find out more about you anyway, I guess they can just go straight to that, that website, can't they? Kpublicity.com. Yes. You'll find all our services cool. and products. And if you want to talk more about branding that has nothing to do with color palettes, <laughs> you can <laughs> listen to my podcast, Branding Outside the Box. Uh, we love, we love color palettes. We really <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a visual person, so I'm not. Like, uh, okay. Someone can show me a book cover, and I'm like, it's good. And they're like, well, what makes it good? I have no idea. Um, I'm a, it's I'm a not when you see person. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I have to ask you this quick, just before we finish. Um, yeah. I noticed one of the services that you offer uh, to your clients, which really intrigued me, was um, a crisis consultation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what is a what is a crisis? What what kind of crisis and what kind of consultation? Yeah. So let's be fair. This is publishing. Like we're not, there's no oil spills. There's not like forest wildfires. Um, sure. There's our fair share of sex scandals and whatever, and diversity kerfuffles. Um, but the crisis consultation really is, it's actually not used by authors too often. It's usually used by publishers and agents. Okay. Um, you know, their author goes on a tirade about something. Um, <laughs> that goes, goes bonkers on Twitter or um, a publisher has an author who is bad-mouthing them and how do they handle it. Um, I definitely don't like doing crisis PR. It's not something I offer. Um, there's a lot of publicists who, you know, like with the, um, like the, the gentleman who was uh, dragged off the United flight. Um, I know the person in charge of that PR team, of the United <laughs> PR team, like, and I know what she went through and that doesn't, yeah, yeah right? Like that's not, not something I would want to um, experience. So the consultations are really um, agents and public uh, agents um, and publishers. A couple of times it's been authors, but usually not because um, they're usually the ones that are the problem. Uh, they have <laughs> called me to say, hey, they've emailed me to say like, hey, do you have an hour to talk through this? I want to make sure I'm doing the right thing. Yes. Yeah. And that's the, con- like, that is what it is. What's interesting to me though, and this is a good lesson I think to everybody is that there's a big old world outside of book Twitter. And it may feel like these things are, like for example, I'm like I mentioned, I'm off Twitter. I, I don't find it a, a love. I don't find it a nice place. I don't find it to be and energetically pleasing at all. So I'm I'm not on Twitter. Okay. But people will show me screenshots or like show me threads or send me a link to a thread of like something that happened, and it feels so big. Like there was a an author recent, fairly recently, who like went off on publicists in general. And so a bunch of people sent it to me like, Hey, this author is bad mouthing publicists. I'm like, okay, great. But if, and it feels so huge, like it feels really, really big, but it's not getting covered in the news cycle. Like it's not anywhere else except this little bubble. And so oftentimes these crises feel like really big crises when they're not. You know, if it's, if it was going to be in the New York times the next day, then yeah, that's a crisis. If you're, you know, if you're an off, if you're author, I, I feel for this person's agent. Um, but if you're an author going off on your publisher and that makes it into the New York Times, like that is a crisis. If it's a Twitter thread with other publishing people, it may not be the same crisis. Nice. So nice. it's usually agents or publishers, occasionally authors yeah. that will just book a call yeah. with me to 
talk through their approach to something happening. So maybe you maybe part of the value is you can help us all to just kind of retain a sense of perspective when when stuff happens and we think it's it's like the end of the world and actually it's just happening in a little bubble and it know, is take a I breath it's fine. We all need to gain some perspective because honestly, you know, when, the authors, are, I, when authors are complaining to me, I just kind of like about something that their publisher did or a reader did or whatever. I'm like, ultimately, you get to make stuff up for a living. <laughs> like you could be pulling concrete. You could be like the crossing guard on below zero days, right? Like there's a yeah. lot worse yeah. job. And yes, you may have to deal with someone giving you a two-star review on Goodreads. But if that's the worst part of your day, you still had a pretty good day. Yeah. Wise advice. Um, is, we, we're going to finish in a moment. Is there is there any maybe one thing, last thing you want to say as a kind of if you don't you know if you don't remember any of the rest of it, remember this. I think just remembering to be a person as opposed to a quote unquote <laughs> marketer or someone yeah. wearing a sandwich board and ringing a bell. I think that I go to a lot of conferences and what I see is authors in particular coming up to me like I can tell they have their elevator pitch their purpose their their stuff and they want to talk at me um and I think that and that's the most I'm an introvert so if seeing that author walking towards me with like a mission is the most horrifying thing ever um it's like what do you want from me um and so I think just remembering that but we're all people and to listen as much as we speak. So whether you are on social media talking about things, also listen to what people are saying as well. If you're at a conference, don't just go up and talk to everybody about your book and shove bookmarks in everyone's face. Also ask what they're working on, what mm-hmm. what they are interested in. Um, some of the best calls I've had are with either with um, agents or with Oh, well, and like people from the media too, like a lot of the media people I'll have conversations with and just not even pitch them and just ask them, Hey, like I saw this interview you did last week. Really cool. I'm curious of what you're working on or what you're looking for right now. And it's not even a pitch. It's just me asking them about their Mm, job. mm. And so I think keeping in mind that all the most effective networking and the most effective promotion is one that it's a two way street. So if you remember nothing else about branding and content strategy, if we can all be a little bit more human, you'll have much more positive relationships with yeah. both your readers and fellow publishing people. We need to be nice, don't we really, I guess? Or be yeah, right and considerate be, a bit. Well, just be be aware. I mean, honestly, yeah. I mean, how many times have you gone to an event or gone to something where someone just talks at you? Yeah. Or someone just, or someone's rude or someone, not rude, but um, entitled in a way. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I, a lot of my journalist contacts will say how they are like, they get pitches that sound like more like an order or a demand than a request. Um, but, and I don't think it's ill-intended. I just think people don't understand. So I think same with the eight, like literary agents, you know, going up to a literary agent and just cold pitching your novel doesn't make sense. Asking them, what do you look for? What are you reading right now that you're interested in? What was the what was a recent deal that you did that you're really proud of? Mm. That's going to tell you a lot more, and it's mm. going to make them feel so much more at ease than if you just go up and pitch your book. People love it when you care about them, don't they? Do. Or when you actually at least look like you're kind of asking about asking questions about them and their life and what they're doing, and 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 you've thought about it a bit. 
yeah, I feel very cared for right now because you've asked some really great questions. And, <laughs> well, and that, that is my, then my job is done. My, one of my, <laughs> one of my objectives is, is every, every guest I have should have a good time talking to me. Whatever else happens, it should be a good conversation. Absolutely. If, yeah. if, if they don't have a good conversation, then I, I have, you know, if it's within my power to, to influence it, then, then that's not, that's bad. Yeah, so I think it's more back and forth conversation, more back and forth conversations, not just one-sided ones. Yeah, well, most of the chat should come from you because you're my guest, and we all want to hear what you're going to say. <laughs> so that's the way it goes. Um, okay, well, Dana, thank you very much for your time. It's been great to talk to you. It's I really enjoyed this conversation. Good. All right, talk soon. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to the Creative Writers Tool Belt podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or me, just go to my website. It's andrewjchamberlain.com.